Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Better, better, better. And we are entering the banter segment. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Susie Gene. How are all you doing out there? Thanks for listening. Thanks for keeping up with us. And uh, hopefully you're ready for some more fun this week. Let's hope, right? I mean, I know, um, sorry, I know guys, we I'm, have I'm, had... No, we have. I'm overwhelmed we, right now. <laughs> we we have summer and heat. <laughs> we, you're we you're have overwhelmed. Summer and heat. Can, can we get you back to whelmed? <laughs> you cannot get back to whelmed. Spring. <laughs> I'm afraid. No. No. Okay. <laughs> so, just so you know, we have a new patron. Yay! Ooh. Indeed. So. Uh, let me, let me find his, uh, it was actually after the episode, see, we had already recorded the campaign design one (laughs) when, when he joined, he actually got, he joined us shortly after the Patreon sneak peek that we did. (laughs) Yeah. And it is Joshua Slade, who has joined our Patreon. Welcome to the Patreon, Joshua. It is our honor. In fact, it is indeed our duty to bestow unto you the title, He Who Shall Not Be Forgotten for a Month. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Very very much appreciate your patronage. Keep the lights on and keep us going. Yep. We'll tell you what month it is later. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, but I just figured I would get, go ahead and get that shout out out of the out of the gate because well, and we'll um, go ahead and do our quick round of self promotion. Where <laughs> obviously we have a Patreon. If you'd like to support us by throwing a few bucks our way to help keep the lights on, to run the server, to go ahead and make sure this works, and maybe even at some point upgrade our recording technology. Hmm. You like yes. the sound of our voice, but what if we had better gear? Find us on Patreon. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and our Facebook group. We are available, and you should find our Discord, where we will pop in and chat with you. Yes. At least by text. I'm That's not on there true. Often verbally. But there are ways to get to us and talk to us, and if you're a Patreon... Or on our Discord, it's a lot easier when we start asking, hey, what should we cover next? Or what should we talk about? And you get a direct line to us. Yep. Oh, also, if you don't want to do 
well, by the time this comes out, it will have already taken effect. But effective, like, the 3rd of June, I want to say, or the 4th. It'll be either the 3rd or the 4th of June. Uh, we are actually going to be doing a major shift in our Patreon patronage thing. Uh, prior to this point, it has been per episode. We are going to switch to a monthly. So it'll just Ooh. be a flat monthly amount. So, and we, I'm actually, I worked on this a couple of days ago. And I actually have the new tiers and goals already lined up for it. So, if when you hear this you want to find out more, go to our Patreon and you will be able to see what our new goals and everything are. New opportunities for the future. Yes. But, aside from all of that bit of housekeeping, what have you guys been up to? I mean, surviving the summer heat. It's uh, It's been pretty rough keeping me away from uh, doing as much of the creative stuff as I'd like to be doing in campaigns. Ah, yes. Yes. I understand I this feeling. But I have been <laughs> doing some reading. I've been tinkering with some old World of Darkness and possibly might be trying to do a, a kind of jumbo-sized campaign. Try to mix a couple of the settings together and see how that goes. Ah, ah, I see. I've got a couple of the 20th anniversary PDFs lying around that I just really haven't taken the time to look at, and so, you know, I think it's time to start cracking them open. <laughs> it's time. It's time. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I, I have uh, the vampire one and the mage one. Mm. And that's that's all that I've got. I don't I don't have the Wraith one yet. I need to get that one still. Wraith is best. Of course, <laughs> Wraith is best. Of course. The only thing that eclipses it is the bright and shining beauty of Changeling. No, we these people can go listen to us talk about this as a patron thing. <laughs> We're required once a month to mention this discussion. <laughs> to drive also, <laughs> also, go back and read the card catalog entries that were done for both Wraith and Changeling in the original, let's say, World of Darkness setting and style written on the website, seethegm.com. Yeah. But those are kind of great examples of how those immersive worlds will really suck us in and make us absolutely love the games that get played. And, you know, when I write those card catalogs, I kind of design them like campaigns and then set things up, which dovetails really nicely into continuing our, our existing conversation about campaign design and, and using some of what we've talked about as examples for uh, what that's going to be. Yes. Yes, it mm-hmm. is. So last time we talked about, like, macro conflicts and the discovery. exploration discovery. And mm-hmm. this time we decided to tackle two others, which are micro-conflict and succession of power. Okay. Now, what this is going to do is this is going to kind of wrap where we're at with this part of it. 
Now, there is way more that we can continue to do in designing campaigns, which will be part four, part five, as many as we want to go. We're going to come back for like the 201 and 301 series, where if you recall how we started in the deeper dive last time, we did kind of had people, places, and things in the show notes. And so we'll come back and talk about how those will impact a campaign design after you've got a concept in future episodes. Yes. But for now, we want to show how to use the, the concepts of the micro-conflict or the concept of a secession of power to build an engaging campaign that you can use for multiple sessions. Yes, Yeah, so I think we'll just go ahead and dive right into this bad boy. Now, I'm going to tell you minor more of elevator pitches than really deep dives because the way I design campaigns is that I need to have just kind of a quick, this is the idea. Do you like it? And then I will build much deeper on the other elements of that campaign once I have the initial pitch out there. So, I'm going to go first. All right. So, in our, in our micro-conflict, mine is a... It's a sci-fi setting called The Prism of Power. And the topic of how the two powers in this part of the world drew up the game, as it's called, is something lost to time. But the rules are, are very simple. No killing is the first one. But the rest is a lot more freeform. The goal is to amass as much power and influence as possible before the Empress has chosen her empirical consort. Though you must be careful because if she's aware of how much you have, then she might make an example out of you. So, can you place that empirical consort in her way so that you have that much control over the throne of the Seven Diamond Stars? Neat, so kind of nobility playing of nobility. Yeah. Hmm. And there's the, that. The big thing is, is that there's no killing. They can't outright just kill off a bunch of people. They have to use all of the you know machinations of debate and you know amassing power in many other ways without actually killing another one of the players of the game. Noble games without the machinations of an assassin. <laughs> what has the world come to? Well, I mean... Well, I think, I, I think I'm going to kind of use that as my springboard to talk about what I came up with for that, because there's some similar themes there. Um, you know, in micro-conflict, it, it, it's about getting up close and personal. You know, it, it's not about high stakes, it's about personal stakes, it's about individuals and towns and, and how uh, character involvement is affected by these. And so what I did is kind of a fantasy one. I, I bootstrapped it loosely on this area I used last time, but it's sometimes you can't hit them until they fall down. And, you know, it's been a long time on the road. 
Nothing's quite the same as shaking off the dust from your boots at your favorite roadside tavern. And this one in particular has been a recurring favorite of the last few years, but the rusty ruler seems a shell of itself when you get here. It isn't really ready for you to enjoy yourself. The town has a new leader, you see. And these odd election things that they favor in the Gola can change who's in charge without anyone dying. You're now seeing the results of one of these elections. Your favorite barkeep is forlorn. He sees the new taxes as stifling his business, and when combined with the demonization of ale and meat, it's been hard to turn a penny of profit. Can you help? What does it take to change the mind and heart of a town? Who is this new leader? What drives him or her to outlaw and punish taverns and merriment? Can you sway a whole town back from the edge of a rather mundane abyss and help save your friend's business? I mean, he's offering you ale for life if you can pull it off. This is designed to push a campaign out of the most common comfort zone, the exploring and dungeoneering and, and combat, and into the fun of municipal politics. You know, the who, what, and where can all be handled with the plum, but this is where you set the pace as a GM, and that helps define it. Uh, quali- you need to qualify to have the recall election of, of the burgermeister or whoever's in charge, and then you have to have the election itself. So... You give players a chance to explore, learn what the platform is that drove this new Meister to control. Why do people support it? There could be magical powers and demonic pacts, but it could be as simple as taxes to provide better infrastructure, or recoiling against one or two violent overindulgences that led to the lockdown on the tavern. Sometimes humans are just humans. And using the conflict of personalities and the tendency for the smallest of disagreements to balloon into the largest of feuds in a small town lets you explore what it means to solve a problem and be seen as a hero when you can't just throw your sword around and kill something. Maybe it just all comes back to an unpaid tab, a rough night, and a personal vendetta that will only be solved with violence. But more likely than not, there's going to be ballot box stuffing. Get out the vote campaigns, promises of kickbacks to sway locals. How do they do that, and what does it mean for who they are? And I think that kind of micro-conflict where you've got a friend whose business drags you into it, and you see kind of that up-close-and-personal set of relationships is, is a fun thing to explore. That's very cool. That is nice. You know, just the, the whole nature of, you know, these are the stories that those characters have to go into and having an adventure party just kind of stumble into them. It's like, I have to do what now? Yeah. Wait, free booze forever? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yep. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, and I think it's fun when you set it up as, as kind of an election issue. It makes it hard because there are very few kind of game systems designed to control entire mobs of people that will let you just do this in one role. Mm-hmm. It requires that long, slow set of uh, problem solving from identifying the platform, identifying who's got the power, solving, you know, maybe you need to catch some goats that escaped a broken fence. Maybe, I mean, there are ways to get these roles and these challenges in there, but it forces a really direct set of role playing uh, that I, I think would be fun. It would. Cool. Now, for my version of Microcosmos, I think I kind of kept it rather small, too. I went for kind of cartoony contemporary, and 
It's called of pies untold. In the world of the Valley of Sunshine, there are four townships. East, each is a bastion of hope, well-being, and camaraderie. They love their neighbors, their fellow town residents, and they love their neighbors across the Moon River, the, the Moon Rain Rivers that crisscross the valley. They are people who are full of pride and love of their land, and the myriad fruits and vegetables they grow in the fertile soil. But behind the veiled perfection, a sinister truth lies from the hearts of the Valley of Sunshine. One contest that stands above all the others. One that drives the residents to sabotage, prize harvest, overturn wagons, and, dare I say it, start food fights. Yes, I speak of the yearly pie contest of the Equinox Festivals. Each spring and fall, sinister's plans go out to disrupt the bakers of the four townships. Players must take the role of the bakers and their staff and choose to take a defensive noble stance or an offensive saboteur route. They can spy to learn techniques or practice and master their own craft. The Equinox Festival was a hard-won contest, and the prize is having a town crowd master of the season. Will it be yours? <laughs> That's fun. I wanted to, to step away from my usual creepiness. <laughs> no, not, I think that's that's a lot of fun. You can see where everything kind of comes together and, and, and how it builds off of that that set of decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, you have to choose what kind of berry to use for your pie. Absolutely. That may be the most important decision, depending I mean, on the harvest. <laughs> coming from you, that could very well be the most important decision. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's what makes this type of campaign important, because it's, it, it's definitely a campaign where there might be some roughhousing violence, but you're not going to murder the other residents of the town. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're fighting to win a pie contest. Do you know what game system I think would be awesome for this? And I just have to throw it out there because this works totally well for something like Big Eyes, Small Mouth. Yes. <laughs> that kind of wacky anime over the top. Like, you could easily run that, something like that, in, in a game system like that. That's very simple. Small stakes that feel huge. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. That is awesome. <laughs> well, so, that also with that kind of seasonal being crowned master of the season, I think that kind of also leads us to the next big main kind of campaign, and that's the succession of power. And a lot of forms, and, and this is all of that passing of the torch, literally or metaphys- metaphorically, of power to a younger generation from an older generation. Yeah. Uh, you, See it in comic books, one of my favorite mediums to watch, where you have the JSA passing the torch to the JLA in the Silver Age and all of that. But it also, and I went with superheroes here, is the underpinning idea behind a lot of your coming-of-age stories. And so I designed a campaign for you know superheroes called Paragons of a New Age. And you see, it's always fun when school goes back into session at Paragon High. A Paragon High only hosts the best and brightest of the newest generation of the superpowered and enhanced individuals, as well as an odd alien or three, depending on the year. And you have transferred into Paragon for your sophomore year of high school with the rest of the party, all arriving at the same time to the glistening, the shiny school of the future. 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 And all had the same experience being hazed by the new juniors. It may be a rite of passage, but it doesn't need to be, and there are far too many things that do not add up at this school when you're a few weeks in. While it seems that Principal Praxis is well-intentioned, 
His eyesight does not see through the walls of the school, no matter what he may claim. The juniors, especially the ones on the softball team, are up to something after practice, and the scheduled inspections are not happening if you look at the licensing requirements from the International Order of Metapowered Academics. Okay, you're the new kid here. But between the Paragon Pegasuses slinking around, the oddly cleaned grounds where you never see a groundskeeper or a robot, or the smell of a magical spell, and the willful ignorance of the junior class's actions, something more is going on. Can you and your friends outwit and outlast the junior class troublemakers? Find out what the Pegasus's locker room is hiding? Can you save the school from itself or something else? Here, the mystery of the school is kind of trying to echo the imprecision and uncertainty of growing up. As a common theme used in fiction, and the use of superpowers gives you a chance for a more kind of uplifting tone. But what ties together these threads is the pacing. And building the tone uh, can grow out of the pacing because you can plot it like a school year. So, you know, I, when I grew up, we were having we had four nine-week quarters in the school year. So you've got three major beats before the last quarter with the big showdown. Work stories around periods of classes or weekly sporting events like the Pegasuses and their softball games. And build it around a school calendar for your game to create the pacing. And that will help you when you build the tone. And I've got a couple of examples in the links of, of kind of teenage-esque superhero uh, things to take tone from, like uh, the new Teen Titans and the new Mutants from the 80s and Dean Agents, movies and TV shows like Veronica Mars, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, obviously, Zoom, and, and Sky High. And so you've got the chance to seize power away from the juniors and however they're holding on to it, or possibly even from Principal Praxis himself. And it's up to you as a GM to figure out how you want to let them come into their own in that setting. Nice. I dig, I dig. Yeah. It's a kind of natural progression of the coming of age and the succession of power, you know? Yeah. I dig. Indeed. I mean, that's one of the places that that kind of concept came to me from was looking at all of the high school movies and stories and all of, you know, two thirds or three quarters of anime is all about, you know, the next young generation rising up and, and fixing the problems of their forebears and taking the reins for themselves. And so uh, I had to get the high schoolers in there and, and I was kind of feeling the superheroes. Which totally works. Absolutely. So then you go. <laughs> so I actually went with something that was I, I've been playing around with um, a couple of different ideas. And one is this kind of apocalyptic fantasy. Because I don't think that fantasy is generally viewed by most people as usually having apocalyptic parts to it. And I feel like there's there's something in that. So this is one is actually called Changing of the Guard. And at the onset of the Age of Banners, when the broken world was being pieced back together, factions rise and fall. Some have strong footholds on the few elements that can prove the right to rule. The right to rule... Is it yours, 
Or is it the others you call friends? Well, the one that can grab it from the Lord might be his rightful successor, as the law is written. Will he give in to your will, or will he fall to his, or will you fall to his will? The area that you can control will be a weapon that you can use, as well as the people in that area. The hardest part is getting the Lord's attention and doing things to help him get what he needs or wants and proving you're the help that is worthy of having his seat once he's done. Very neat. Feels like you kind of almost mix the two together a little bit of the two type of stories. Yes, because there's there is elements of that, you know, like micro conflict, but it's also not as this would be more about can you take the power mm-hmm. or should you even the take power. the power, even mm-hmm. though you could it, it, just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. And. If he's strong enough, why should he allow you? When the players stand in direct path of the succession, kind of right. thing. Right. Nice. So. Well, I mean, it, it's a well-known bit here that I am thoroughly a fan of, of, you know, shenanigans involving control of entire regions and the political hoopla that goes along with that. So yeah. you, you have two thumbs up from me. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I, mean, I figured politics for me right now as kind of like these these types of things play well into political games. If those are the kinds of stories you want to tell, those these two really play well into that along with like the macro conflict ones. So, well that's that's the beauty of this whole exercise is and I, I think we've covered this with several of our examples is that Many of these stories are succession of power, but they also tie into macro conflicts and micro conflicts and something to discovery. And and that's one of the things we are trying to cover. Yeah, and they can lead from one to another. Never feel boxed in when you've made a, a campaign like it can't change. That succession of power could easily turn into a micro conflict. It could turn into a macro conflict. You could end up having a macro conflict where you end up playing an exploration game because you need to go over the mountain to find the MacGuffin yeah. to solve the problem. And it's they can bleed and blend into each other. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways, I think they almost should. Because if you're real Different topic, different yeah. episode. <laughs> because we still need to hear what Noel came up with. That's true. Possession of That's power. true. We do. Absolutely. Okay, so... I actually want something I very much ran on the public face of my podcasting role-playing sphere. I picked the topic of cyberpunk with the title of Underworld Overlords. A theme in the grungy world of cyberpunk is the role of the mover, the shaker, the dealmaker. These fixers live and die by reputation, and the people they employ, often the players, are the ones that help solidify this rep into the history of the Metroplex's streets. Reputation serves as a marker of where you stand in these dingy alleyways. Are you the top shot caller, the corpse hired for work, or are you yesterday's news, ready to be passed on and passed over until the current big fish is ready for a fall? 
A street-level game is a game of reputation, half-truths, and lies. While the players are not always the focus of the fictional role, they are adjunct to helping fill someone's rep and role amongst the gears that keep the machine rolling. Doing a job to destroy the rep of another by causing a project to go bad, or being their best selves and knocking out hard assignments for their fixer. They are the motions that pass the baton up from overlord, from faker to maker. And I did this in Shadowrun as part of the Hidden Grid when my players connected to the fixer, Eve Donovan. She's the fixer from the Silver Angel module. Over time, the reputation for the jobs Eve sent them on were boosting her rep and helping establish her as a queen of the Shadowrun scene. So it's a way of the players, while they're not directly in the succession of power, they're supporting it or drilling into it. And, you know, Cyberpunk's pretty good about that, whether we're talking Shadowrun or Cyberpunk 2020 or any other myriad of games. That's fun, and I loved listening to that when I was listening to Hidden Grid before I ever got to play games with you guys. And so that's, I think, a really effectively done example. So, all of you with podcatchers, go look for the old Hidden Grid feed, and you can hear how this plays out across multiple, multiple episodes and wonderful hours of one of the first, if not the first, Shadowrun actual play. Mm-hmm. Good Sorry, had to twist somebody's <laughs> horn. Hey, I appreciate the plug. But it was... It's something I always think is, is important is to consider the reputation for NPCs that where they are in the scale of things. And this type of game, the succession of power, plays heavily into that. Because the players' actions should not have just have consequences on themselves, but who they associate with, who they do business with, who they swear their loyalties to, whose pie they decide to steal. Yeah. I like it. And it it fits fully into that succession of power because I think I think that you can play the scrappy up and comers. I think you can play the old power going into decline as much as you can play that direct conflict for who's going to come out on top. And and so I think that's a great example of one way to do that slow build. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, so with, with that. Remember, we told you to find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, and Discord. Go to your most convenient of those and tell us which of these has inspired you, or tell us what sort of a campaign you have run or would want to run under these themes. And we'd love to see a conversation get going and start up on that. Yeah. Yes, indeed. But I think it's time to roll on into our next thing. And now we enter Stat Blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. Okay. Zen go. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would do that. I was okay. waiting for it. I know. Okay. So, the ring... Of Trofoil. The most powerful members of the Empress of the Seven Stars, as she is known, gives to the presenter of her consort this ring. What is so special about such a simple and unimpressive work 
ring of brass. The decorations are truly simple and no gemstones adorn it even. The ring, though, is capable of seeing the truest intention of a person that are the focus of its wearer's mind. It creates an unexpected connection that can dive into the second or third level of the person. That's going to make it really hard so that she doesn't know what power you have. (laughs) Well, what's funny is this, along with the... Um, the, the, uh, micro conflict and I, I've been tying these all together <laughs> because this is all part of the sci-fi one where the con, the, the macro conflict was mankind showing up in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. This is all tied together. <laughs> Oh, and I kind of took the um, Paragon High setting to make a person for Saplock this time that, you know, is kind of an example of an NPC that either is a deus ex machina for purposes or could become the focus of whole stories if you and your PCs want it. Well, and that's Prince Kevin. A legend, even among the legends of Paragon High, when Prince Kevin enters the room, he is the most important person in the room without a doubt. Everyone knows it. And everyone respects it. I mean, it is Kevin, after all. But few can remember why the respect is paid to Kevin this way, or why the title of Prince has provided him. He has fine, chiseled features of a high school jock, complete with the ubiquitous Letterman jacket. He's always fashionably late, and seems to know just when to leave the party before it gets busted. Kevin is even... helpful... You recall him showing up at just the right time to catch the falling punch bowl when Chad had knocked it over. How he accidentally knocked the glass away from Amber, the sketchy guy was giving her. His ability and willingness to change someone's flat tire. His big doofus-like smile and enjoyment of just offering people a hand makes you feel better about how you never seem to see him in any of your classes. Oh, that's fun. I, I just... I'm picturing, like, this kind of jockey kind of character, like, for the Optiverse, but it's in, like, the pose for good guy Greg meme. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, just always there when you need him, never can find him any other time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you find me on Twitter, Instagram, or the Discord, I'll tell you what I based this on and what I think Prince Kevin is, but uh, you can have your own answer in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, I did not tie mine to, uh, to my examples, cause, uh, I was running late, I was tired, and, uh, well, you'll figure out what I was drinking once I tell you about it can't sleep. It looks like any number of energy drinks hot on the market. You know what I mean. The corporate drivel stamped all over with animated cartoon characters that have two excited eyes or covered in weird living metal patterns. Yeah, that stuff. This one's different. Oh, it'll keep you up. Because it's filled with as much sleep as you want to put into it. No, no, it's not stupid. Of course it makes sense. No, listen. Here's what it does. The can goes under your pillow while you go to bed. It'll eat your sleep. Store it up. You don't even dream. Just snap. Eyes closed. Eyes open. I set an alarm personally so I don't feed it the whole night. Then, when you're tired, when you need that energy comes from eight full hours, 
crack open the can, chug down the sleep you gave, and enjoy the night like you slept through the day. S- side effects? No, no, there's no side effects. Just, you know, so long as you're not a bad dreamer. I mean, you're not a bad dreamer, right? No nightmares, night terrors, weird dreams about a talking dog? No? Good. Wouldn't want them lingering to ferment. That'd be dangerous. So. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I might have been drinking a monster energy. We're not subscribed, but, uh, you're supported by this, but if you would like to, please give us an email. Anyway, uh, but it, it just kind of got the inspiration of monster energy drink. Yeah. Oh. Mm. <laughs> so. I have a little thing in there if you guys go look at the show notes about how exactly you can fit the can of sleep into your game, how it should handle different systems. Just just some ideas to toss at you. That is nice. <laughs> that is nice. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and keep on flipping into the next section. Lexicon, where we give you... Cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay. So, this is actually a pretty pretty simple one, and I, I'm sure that at least one of you is going to get it almost right away. Bodkin. I know this one. It is an anime character from the early 2000s. That is, is not what it is. <laughs> Shoot. But it has uh, several, several, well, it's got two basic definitions. It's a stabby. Yeah. It is, by definition, a dagger or stiletto. A sharp, slender instrument for making holes in cloth. So, it's also a ornamental hairpiece that is shaped like a stiletto. It's usually a blunt needle with a large eye for drawing tape or ribbon through a loop or hem. And let's see. The history and etymology is from Middle English. Which makes sense when you start looking at these words and you see something like budkin. Yeah. <laughs> and its first known use is the 14th century. Middle English. <laughs> yeah, funny how that works. <laughs> um, but the, the lookup popularity is in the bottom 30% of words. So this is not one that you see very often. I'm actually kind of surprised it's that low, because I do remember seeing this word several times in various books in fiction. So I'm actually kind of surprised it's that low. Yeah, well. It must just, must just be the books you're reading. And it could, could also be that they use it in a context where you can draw from what it is, you know, draw the definition from the context of how it's written. Are you saying that they're writing in such a way that I could get the point? That's the object of, of writing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> just just for the record. <laughs> so, well, God, we have just like hammered this one out, guys. So, I think what we should do is go ahead and uh, go ahead and give our closing remarks, and then go ahead and wrap this bad boy up. 
Call it a nice return to form and hope that everyone out there has been inspired and give them time. Because if we don't talk, do you promise to take the time you save to write out a campaign pitch like we just did? Okay, that's a fair trade. Uh, for my closing remarks and my recommendations, talking about campaigns and then big themes, I'm going to recommend Planetary. Uh, it's the acclaimed comic book series written by Warren Ellis. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek look and kind of a deconstruction and commentary on the history of, of comic books and stories in general throughout the 20th century. Uh, it's a beautiful goldmine of ideas, imagery, and a textbook look, textbook look at how you can deconstruct conventions instead of just sloppily deconstruct them with no purpose in hand. Uh, there are layers upon layers, and the deconstruction itself is part of the story and the analysis, and that's part of what's made it a modern classic. Nice. Very cool. And I like Warren Ellis, so... <laughs> I am not a fan of all of his work, which is part of why Planetary is one of those where I see what's supposed to be going on behind his head, behind his writing, Yeah, and... That's what I'm going to point at as what people should read. Okay. Cool. Nice. I'm, I'm going to break the trend for this episode where I've been going last the whole time and go second here. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been watching Netflix Love, Death, and Robots. A slight warning for the show notes. The trailer is definitely a mature rated trailer. But I've seen 14 of the 17 stories so far, and... This series has been wonderful. It's a series of sci-fi animated uh, short stories, and they do everything I, I love when you take risks with sci-fi. The, the stories are – they don't hold your hand. They, they present them. They show you them, and that they kick butt. Uh, so far, most of the stories I've been seeing have been great examples of micro-conflicts in that the stakes for these characters are extremely high, but – they're not really big in terms of the greater scheme of the world, but they're really wonderful stories. Uh, some of it's older fiction, some of it's newer fiction, but highly recommended. It's it's very much worth your time. Most of the episodes have been around uh, between 17 to 23 minutes, so they're not like full, huge, hour-long stories. They're just a nice, tasty morsel of sci-fi goodness. Yeah, this is the... Um the series that is. I have not gotten a chance to see it yet, but everything that I have heard about it is it is very much a homage to heavy metal. Yes, absolutely. So, yes, I could I could definitely see the influence in there. Yeah. And and it, it's more so the the actual heavy metal comic, not as much the heavy metal movie. Yes and no, actually. It's It actually has elements that do remind me of the first heavy metal movie. There, there hasn't felt like there's been a through line the way the movie handled uh, a through line. Right. But the way it's these different stories that all kind of share this this feeling. It's hard to describe. Watch it. <laughs> okay. Check out the first episode. You'll fall in love. You'll want to watch the rest of them. <laughs> I keep almost watching it. It's one of those things that... It- Netflix knows to keep suggesting, and I keep almost watching it, and then not quite getting started on it. The, the yeah. only thing I warn about is that it is a mature-rated show. It is not for uh, kids. It is not for kids. <laughs> well, 
Some of them are, are okay, kid safe, but I'd watch them first. Um, yeah. One of the ones I watched was definitely kind of kid safe. It'd be fine. Not all of them are. Yeah. Um, and it does not shy away from violence as well, but it is violence that fits the story as rather than violence just cause. Violence for violence sake. Yeah. And the animations, the, all the animation styles have been different, but well done, well put together. I highly okay. recommend this. Yeah. Well, so here we go. My wife actually is the one that uh, showed this to me. And it's for those times when you, you know, need to have a fully standard NPC or, or character in like record time because, you know, that happens sometimes. And you can check, there's a, there's a character generator called Fast Character. And you can do 5e D&D as well as cipher characters. And it's literally, as soon as you say, I want this, you hit generate, you have a character sheet. It's that fast. Let's see about that. Okay, click, 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 create, You don't have to do all that. You can literally, if you just leave them blank, it will auto-generate. And just a cipher character, click done. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, nice little format. And it will print, and you can just download and print them. So if you need, like, a whole, like, NPC group, you pick the first one. You can do the a couple of, you know, key things that you need to have. Like, if they all need to be, like, the same level or the same type of thing, you can do that in it. And it's super fast. I, I'm like, you know what? I, I'm kind of digging that. And I'm actually at, I'm really liking that I'm looking at right now. Is it also is mobile friendly for those uh, GMs on the go? Yes. So not only does it have fancy character sheets, but you can get a nice text only version that just looks very clean, good reference numbers. Yeah, this is pretty solid. Yeah. And and I have my wife just recently decided that she was uh, going to try to find a a game again, and well, she got invited to a game, and it's a 5e game. And so she's like, well, I need the player's handbook. So she was reading it, and she found this kind of by accident. And she was like, you have to check this out. This is amazing. <laughs> Good find. So, yeah. I was really happy with it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just randomly generated a dwarven archer, which, if you know me, is... uh <laughs> right up my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's fun. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Like you you have you can have some control over what's created, but a lot of it you can just I, I need a character, boom, and it generates it. Name everything. So very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening this week, and I hope that you enjoyed our deeper dive into a campaign design and kind of finishing out this. Uh, second series on, on how to design campaigns before we come back for more. And in the meantime, uh, I was trying to make a throw to you yeah, guys. I, I know, and I totally loved it. But I'm still playing with fast character, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 Woohoo! <laughs>
clearly check out Fast Character. Look in the, show, the doodly do for links as well as links to all of the other things we've mentioned. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Support us on Patreon and Discord. And we will see you next time. In the meantime, we'll see you guys. Have a good one, guys. <laughs> Contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardeMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seize the GM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended, and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.